it's time for Ask the Pharmacist, where we go behind some of the medical headlines that uh, you will have seen recently. And joined now by Elizabeth Roddick, a resident pharmacist, joining us from New Life Pharmacy. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello, Simon. And uh, you've been busy this week? Yeah, I've been at the Edinburgh Science Festival. I was asked to host an evening on In Need of Sunshine. I think we all are. <laughs> and, uh, and interestingly enough, I was introduced as a broadcaster rather than a pharmacist. That's a first. <laughs> so what was the gist then of uh, what, you, what you were um, covering? Well, we had very interesting speakers. We had a GP, Dr Ryan, who prescribes vitamin D for our patients and told us how much better they were. Uh, there was also somebody from the MS, uh, I suppose, the Centre of Excellence in Glasgow for MS, and he was talking about that and whether there was a connection with vitamin D. Clearly, studies show that the further north you are, you have a, a more of a problem uh, because of the vitamin D side. And then there was a chap talking about the heart, and, and he thinks the sun re- releases something called nitric oxide. Um, so, so it was a real mix, and, and I think, uh, you know, an enjoyable evening. And uh, what's the gist? Is it that do they think that we've actually not been getting enough sun then with all the warnings about cancer, etc.? Yeah, I think that was interesting because one of them was a dermatologist and he was sort of saying, you know, it's all right to go in the sun. It's not all right to get burnt. And I think still the government is is giving out leaflets saying, you know, cover up, wear factor 50. If your child goes to nursery, then they're told they must wear a high factor. Um, so I think we need to relax that a bit, but that needs to come uh, from government and therefore you would get more vitamin D. All right. Well, very interesting. And uh, Elizabeth has lots about vitamin D on her website and uh, you can get the details of that uh, at the end here. Now, we'll move on to some of the headlines and this is an interesting one. Dieting for just eight weeks can reverse your diabetes. Yeah, Simon, it was an unusual mix of researchers, the University of Newcastle, Glasgow and Lagos. And they recruited 30 volunteers who already had type 2 diabetes. Now, that's the one that generally affects older people. Uh, and also is linked to obesity. The fact that the volunteers rep- you know, actually responded to an advert means they may have been motivated uh, a bit more than the general population. Their glucose levels were tested, which is a measure of diabetes at the start of the study. were again, then given an eight-week low-calorie diet. Now, that was mainly of diet shakes and vegetables. It was only 650 calories. Now, after eight weeks, they switched to a more normal diet, but the researchers checked that they didn't eat too much and it was in, in line with how much exercise they did. The tests were performed, first of all, um, an HbA1c. Now, that's a history of, of your diabetes and glucose levels, insulin sensitivity. Now, if that sensitivity to insulin is low, that normally means you're poor control of diabetes. They also tested glucose production in the liver. And if you produce too much glucose, there, then diabetes results. And, and the amount of fat you, in your organs, such as liver, pancreas, as well as the body. And there's something in the pancreas called beta cells. That's something we use in, in pharmacy for medicines to stimulate it because they produce insulin. So if these cells are underperforming, then diabetes will not be controlled well. Obviously, weight was checked at the beginning of the study and after a very low-calorie diet, they found that their weight went down from 98 to 84.7, and that was in six months. That HbAc level, that's the one, the history of glucose, that again was below the norm. 
There was also more insulin in the blood, and that meant, and also less fat in the organs, particularly the pancreas, which produces insulin. So yes, the study did show if you're prepared to go on a very strict diet, then your deep diabetes you know, will improve. But I think we need a larger study. We also need people who might find it difficult to stick to a strict diet. And of course, before embarking on that, if you think of doing it, then please speak to your doctor. Yeah, because you, you want to you want to be in a diet, but you want to be eating healthily and balanced as well, don't you? I think that's very, very important. We can, obviously, all of us probably cut down our calories, but then we don't want to be nutritionally upset. All right. Now, moving on to this one. Now, this is quite an interesting one because you might have been actually at home. You might have been suggested that you take paracetamol uh, if you're struggling with uh, arthritis and pain. Well, there's a study that says that it's next to useless at alleviating arthritic pain. Yeah, amazing. It was alleviating the pain of osteoarthritis. And remember, Simon, that's the way your joints become stiff and sore. And researchers were from Switzerland and Canada. And they thought um, that, that if they relieved pain, they were checking to see paracetamol against something called a non-steroidal and that's ibuprofen that we probably know that name other names are diclofenac the, the other name is volterol naproxen and celecoxib and these would be pre- prescribed by your doctor so you can't buy these they found that atoricopsib and diclofenac that's a volterol were the top ranking painkillers the bottom rank was paracetamol Now, the guidelines for all of us who are prescribing, whether it's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, state that paracetamol must be used first line in in osteoarthritis. Now, NICE, that's the body that gives advice on medicine. It's going to review the the guidelines in September. So it'll be interesting to see if they take this research on board. I mean, you would think, well, just go out and get some non-steroidals then, but they have their own... Risks as well, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The problem, I'm afraid, is side effects. I mean, I've talked before about diclofenac with Ultrol being withdrawn for sale, and the reason for that was that it may increase the risk of, of stroke or heart attack. Now, generally, all non-steroidals can do that to varying degrees, but they're also hard in the stomach and, and could cause bleeding long term. So, what I'm saying is, if you're on paracetamol, don't stop taking it. Speak to your doctor to see if you can maybe get other medicine and remember also that lifestyle if you're overweight and you've got osteoarthritis in your knees then clearly losing weight will help and also exercise moving on this is a story which uh, caught my eye and i I, I, yeah i kind of hoped it would be true but it's uh, memories wiped by alzheimer's could be revived so says some (laughs) research Hmm. yeah this was study from massachusetts and they use mice and some of you and mice that what they did was they bred them to produce the symptoms of Alzheimer's. Some of you might find this a little bit distressing because how they, they did the experiment was a fear response and they applied electric shock to their feet while introducing smells, colour and shape. And then they shone a blue light trying to stimulate certain cells that we know to do with memory. And the nerve cells grew to form new connective tissue. And when they looked at the brains of the mice with the blue light, they found additional strands in the nerve cells. They were able to retrieve memories for about six days afterwards. So what does that mean for Alzheimer's? First of all, the experiment shows that it's not about forming a memory, it's actually about retrieving that memory. An unfortunate experiment, of course, 
does not mean we're going to have new Alzheimer treatment, which, of course, everybody's looking for. The brain of a mouse is clearly different from a human. It was also early on in Alzheimer's, and so generally an interesting experiment, but doesn't seem to move us forward in treatment. So the headline, I think, was a bit misleading. Mm, We'll move on to another one then. Meditation now. This could ease the agony of back pain, so says a study. Now, we've talked about this before, haven't we, But in, in, uh, more in preventing back pain, Yeah, we? we had a look at a headline which was talking about this mindfulness or meditation uh, preventing back pain. But this was a group of researchers in the United States, and we, we know that lower back pain costs the country a great deal of money in lost working days. Now, the psychological factors play a part in back pain, which is interesting, like negative beliefs. That's known to affect both those who develop the pain and those that don't recover. So there were 342 participants, and they were age 20 to 70, and they all had back pain that wasn't caused by something quite serious like a slip disc or cancer. And the trial lasted for eight weeks with two-hour group sessions of mindfulness-based stress reduction. Now, that's MBSR. And CBT, I've talked about that before, cognitive behavioural therapy. It's a talking therapy. It helps you change beliefs. Now, the mindfulness is based on yoga, so you also have yoga poses and meditation. And the, the groups were divided into either mindfulness or the, or the questioning, the CBT, for a period of eight weeks. And they were followed up in six and 12 months. And they also had to practice at home. So you got homework as well. The mindfulness and the cognitive behavioural therapy significantly improved the pain in the back. That was against conventional therapy, about 30% reduction. The improvement seemed to also have a time lag. In other words, the greatest improvements were found to be really at the end of the, of the study, 6 to 12 months. Now, one of the things that came out in the press, that there was a difference between this mindfulness and the, the CBT, but there wasn't. So that wasn't correct. I, I think you mustn't think, if you have a serious back pain, then to meditate, it'll just go away. It, you know, that isn't what this is about. But the cause, if the cause of pain, we don't know why, then yes, mindfulness, meditation, cognitive behaviour therapy, it's definitely worth trying. Yeah, it might as a distraction break you out of, uh, of the pain cycle or something like that. Absolutely right, Simon. Right, yeah, well, uh, we've got very little time, but I've got to squeeze this one in um, because it's, it's the best of the lot. Man flu does exist. <laughs> <laughs> this was one of those stories in the press that was, uh, unfortunately, inaccurate. <laughs> oh. It was a study about why women were more likely to get autoimmune diseases. Now, such as lupus, that's a condition that affects different parts of the body. It causes fatigue, rashes, joint pain. We don't know why it happens. So researchers from the University of Pennsylvania were, were looking at these autoimmune diseases. That's what we call a, a disease which is starting to attack the body itself. White blood cells, which fight viral infections, were studied and linked to the other X chromosome that we women have. And sometimes overexpression of these immune genes leads to women being more likely to suffer from autoimmune diseases. It's difficult to see how this research is linked to man flu. <laughs> so, so I'm afraid you'll just have to accept there's no excuse. Sorry, Simon. Uh, you know, so your symptoms are not worse than ours. Well, I'm going to do some more research. <laughs>
If you've got any questions for Elizabeth to do with anything we've uh, discussed today, or it might be to do with medication or, or anything to do along those lines, you can get in touch with me here, or you can get in touch with Elizabeth uh, directly at the New Life Pharmacy. The website is uh, all W's dot newlifepharmacy.co.uk. Elizabeth, always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for dropping in. Thanks, Simon.